Fantastic. You might want to be turning to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 12 in a moment. Kind of following on again from our vision night a week and a half ago when we were introducing that whole thing of us being the family of God, being a family together, church being a family. We looked at that a bit on that evening about being a welcoming family, about being a place of welcome, a family who welcomes people in. Last Sunday, Dan spoke about being a united family, that we, uh, from those verses in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, particularly verses 3 and 4, you see, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. And that goes on, there's this sense we, we're united together. For in Christ we've been brought into something. And again, we're going to look at similar similar theme today. To see this, that the church is a profound thing. Church or churches aren't just clubs or institutions. It's not just a meeting or a service or even a building. As we read what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, again we're reminded through the profound picture he shows us, the church is something far more than that, as we will see. Our focus today particularly is on being a holy family. So the church is a holy family, the family of God. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, starting from verse 1. Therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. 
see this wonderful passage which builds a profound picture of what the church is to be what God has made his church to be and this, this passage focuses right in building this picture right to the centre and in turn answers three questions who is he? who is this Jesus? who is Jesus? who is the Christ? what's the truth about him? as we zoom out a bit we see who are we? Peter continues to build the picture what? who are we? who is the church? what is the church? building this glorious picture and having built this picture we zoom out again and and we can ask a third question therefore what should we be we see Peter's call to us in view of all of this in view of this glorious picture I'm presenting of Christ and his church what should we be that's what we're going to look at today we've got to know this is in the context of what Peter's already been saying in this letter the salvation we have in Jesus, he's been explaining and, and just extolling the wonders of what God has done in Christ. For example, in chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Wonderful truth of the gospel. And in verses, uh, verse 18 of the same chapter, for you know it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen from before the, before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. It's through him that you believe in God. Who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that and so your faith and hope are in God this is the truth that he's building upon this is what Jesus has done this is what God has done in Christ and so therefore he begins saying this we focus in right in the middle of our passage who is he who is Jesus Peter gives us an answer here Let's read from verse 6. In scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. You see, all through this passage, Peter starts laying out a picture for them. He's telling them this, in the back of their minds. Imagine building a house. What do you need to consider? What's important? What is key when you're building this house? And they would know, Peter, it's the cornerstone, isn't it? The cornerstone. We might think foundations, but we're talking about similar ideas. We might think we've got to lay a good foundation, haven't we? Which is true. But they would have said, the cornerstone, Peter, that's the most important thing in the whole building. Here's my cornerstone today. It's not massively impressive, but I selected it specially. Basically, my criteria for my cornerstone was it was a box that I actually had and it was empty and it was big enough that you can probably see it. But those criteria, this fits. It was specially selected for that purpose. 
and it probably doesn't matter if I drop it. This is the point. Yes, you're right, the cornerstone. The cornerstone, that's the thing that's vital, that's the thing that's key. If you're building a house, everything will line up to this. Everything will be built on this and from this. The building depends on this being right. As you lay this stone first, everything will line up to it. Everything, if I lay this on the corner here, everything needs to line up as you build the house together. Peter carries on. Well, see. See what it says in the Old Testament. See what it says in, uh, in Isaiah and... In Isaiah, God's laying a cornerstone, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus, he is the cornerstone. Jesus is the vital stone, the key for the building. He's the one, okay, we get it then, Peter. Jesus is the one who is specially selected by the builders. We get the idea of cornerstones. Well, actually, there's a bit more to the picture. Jesus is the chosen and precious cornerstone. But you know, the builders rejected him. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's become a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Jesus, the precious, perfect one. The precious, perfect cornerstone. The one in whom everything can line up and be right and good. Well, he was rejected, despised, thrown out. In fact, as Peter builds the story, as he builds the picture, you can see this is the gospel narrative playing out. Jesus, God's Son, the precious Messiah, the Saviour, sent to earth. As John says at the beginning of his Gospel, he came to what was his own, but his own did not receive him. The builders, the the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, God's people and their leaders, those seemingly best equipped to recognise He's the precious cornerstone. He's the one. He's the Messiah. They said, nah, we don't think so. Kill him. Isaiah goes on to say in Isaiah 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Jesus, the Son of God, the Saviour, precious cornerstone rejected by men ultimately killed and hung on a cross ultimately hung on a cross and killed and yet this was always the plan as Peter's already said we read it right at the beginning in chapter 1 verse 18 it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen from before the creation of the world and revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. By his blood we are redeemed. 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected is the one that God has chosen. Perfect, spotless lamb. Perfect cornerstone. Through his death and resurrection, he's become the perfect cornerstone. Precious to God, and as verse 7 says, precious to us who believe. This is who Jesus is. The one who God sent to earth. The one who God said, this is my plan. This is, this is how I'm going to bring salvation. This is what I have chosen to do. Rejected by the builders. Rejected to the point of death on a cross. But the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So Jesus is the cornerstone, the solid foundation, the one anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Firm, secure, never failing. The saviour. Chosen and laid by God. It's his work, his plan, his building. But if Jesus is the cornerstone, what's, what's this all about? Why is this description used? What, Peter, what are you trying to say? The cornerstone of what? What does it mean for us? It's a great picture. Yes, I can see Jesus was the one who was rejected, but he's the one chosen by God. Well, we have to zoom out. And we begin to see not only who is he, but who are we? Who are we? Having drawn our attention to the cornerstone, we see we're drawn into the same picture. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, God's not just laying a cornerstone and saying, doesn't that look pretty? Doesn't that look great? Cornerstone. Solid. Look at it. Look at it. No. God's building something. God's building something. That was his plan. I'm laying a cornerstone so that I can build my house. Now, how's he building this house? Well, we like spiritual stones, are being built to form this house. Like living stones, we form a spiritual house. Like Dan was saying last week, we've been united to be a body together. Peter here is saying, look, this is what it is. When we come to Christ, God is building us together to form something. He continues in verse 9. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What do we see? We're being built to be a spiritual house, a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people belonging to God. What's the common thread? One. A people, a house, a nation, a priesthood, a people 
for God. A house, not many houses. A people, a nation. God's ultimate plan was not to come just to save individuals that they may stay on their own. Oh, look, I am a spiritual house. No. God's building us together to be something wonderful, something beautiful, something glorious for him. Not on our own as saved peoples. But we're called out to be something new, something different, something wonderful, the people of God. Not loosely or flakily connected, not distant from one another, but joined together. Across the whole world, one family, one nation, the church, his body, his spiritual house. Across the whole world, but wonderfully and gloriously locally expressed. See the wonder of this. See the wonder of this as he goes on. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, through what God has done through Jesus, we're not... Hear me rightly when you say this, when I say this. We're not just forgiven. Not just have we had the slate wipes clean. Wonderful, glorious though that is. It's not just a transaction that's taken place in some kind of cold way. Oh, I see you've got yourself into a bit of trouble here. Let me pay that off. Great, off you go. Wonderful though that would be. Incredible. Imagine having some hideous amount of debt on a credit card or, or, or something else beyond the realms that you could ever pay. Beyond the realms that we could ever pay back and someone comes up and goes, you seem to have got yourself into a bit of trouble there. Let me deal with that. It would be incredible. It'd be wonderful. But that's not all God is doing. God says, I'm dealing with your sin. But do we see the gospel message is so much bigger and so much richer than that? Our sins are forgiven. We've been set free. We've been saved. We've been made his children so that he, therefore then, is building us to be a people. His people. His spiritual house. God is calling a people. It's a profoundly beautiful picture. God's building a spiritual house for him. We can look around, even look at this building here. Obviously I'm going to preach this here and at Shirecliffe. I'm going to be looking at two very different buildings. I can look around, I can point out the, I can point out the interesting things at Shirecliffe as well. I could talk about the parquet floor, but here... Let's talk about, look at the, the curve of the ceiling. Look at the pillars and the, and the way they've been crafted. It looks beautiful in many ways. But as I look out here, I'm looking at a beautiful building. And I'm not talking about the Jubilee Centre. I can see a beautiful building being built together here as I look. We are the beautiful building. If we're in Christ, we are being... Built like living stones, brought together 
God, some, in his incredible wisdom and mercy, is building us together to be something amazing. Something so different. This is incredible. This is the church. A whole bunch of different people united in Christ. Yesterday morning, my kids were watching CBBC. Other channels are available. There was a man, interestingly, who just came up in the middle of a program, a man talking about building a dry stone wall. I was just reminded again. We, like living stones, are being built together. Not, not uniform. God's not going, I'm going to squash you all into this one particular mould, other than the fact he's making us all like Jesus. But he's not saying, I'm going to make some uniform, boring bricks and plonk them together. No, like a man building a dry stone wall. It takes someone who really knows what they're doing, so I hear, to work out, actually, this stone's going to fit here. This is going to work. This is going to do that. That's going to do that. It needs to start wide, and it's going to get narrower, and it's going to be... All the stones are going to link together, even though they're all different shapes and sizes, and it's going to be strong, and it's going to be glorious, and actually, it's going to be pretty beautiful. God, the master building is, builder, is taking us like living stones and building us together to form a spiritual house. We join together. We're not on our own. We're not individual believers. We're the church. The church of God. Join together and, even more wonderfully, join to him. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Remember, he's the cornerstone. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. God's building his building, building his spiritual house, building us together in Christ, on him. Jesus, the precious cornerstone. We're being built together to each other as a body. But with Jesus as the cornerstone. Jesus, the King of Kings, we're being joined to each other and to him, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God the Son. We're being built to him. Ephesians 5, verse 39, uh, 29, sorry. It's talking about husbands and wives, and then he, Paul kind of interrupts himself. He kind of makes a point about husbands and wives, and then realises he's making a much bigger point about Christ and the church. Ephesians 5 and verse 29. I start in 28, so it makes sense. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this, and then it goes on, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. What's he saying? We are members of Christ's body. He's not saying we are part of God's company or, or his club that he's formed or, or even his school where he's the headmaster who's responsible for everyone. We are members of his body. 
We're joined to him. This is profound. I read earlier this week, I've just started reading Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church. And intriguingly, he picks up on this early on in that, just talking about the profound wonder of this. And you just read those verses. We're being built together. We are Christ's body. Can we move on from that without thinking, wow? Wow. Can we, not, can we do anything but wonder at that? This is what Peter's saying here. We are being joined to him. We're not just associated with him. We're his. We're his body. Members of his body joined to him as the family of God. The body of Christ. This is God's plan of the church. It, it kind of must provoke wonder and awe in us. How do we respond to it? First, stop. Don't move on. I've got more to say, but not yet. Let us wonder at this. Christ is the cornerstone and we are being built to him as a spiritual body, a spiritual house. Why don't we stand together for a moment? I know this is a bit unusual. I just feel there's a moment here, it's appropriate to take this in. This isn't new truth that we're understanding. We'll have heard this before. We, you, like, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. But see what God is saying here. What Peter is saying and what God is saying through Peter. The king of the universe stepped down, died, rose again. He is now the cornerstone on which God is building a building out of us as living stones to be his body, his house, his people, his chosen people. This has to drive us to wonder, to awe. He goes on to say, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. As we're hearing this, why don't you sing with me? And Lord, we want to lift your name on high. And Lord, we want to thank you for the works you've done in our lives. And Lord, we trust in your unfailing love. For you alone are God eternal throughout earth and heaven above. And Lord, we want to lift your name on high. And Lord, we want to thank you for the works you've done in our lives and Lord we trust in your unfailing love for you alone are God eternal throughout earth and heaven above Lord we are Lord we are amazed Lord we are in awe 
of what you have done, of who you are and what you have done. Lord, that you have paid the price. You have dealt with our sin. You have done that. But Lord, more than that, you have called us to be built together, to be your people, your special possession, built together with Christ, the cornerstone, the one who is perfect, lined up to him, built together with him. Lord, in one sense, what else can we do but wonder at that and worship? Oh, Lord. Why don't you take a seat for a moment? We see Peter brings this truth. Who is he? He's the cornerstone. Who are we? We're the building being built to him. The ones who God has won and brought in. How awesome is it? And so thirdly, therefore, what should we be? How should we be? Well, the answer is that we're to be holy. As we stood together in, worship, in wonder, this, this is worship, this is so appropriate. To wonder at this mystery, to awe at what he has done. This truth that he's made us to be a people joined to him, built together to him. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Built together and built to Christ. And our response is worship. We're a holy priesthood, as he says, offering acceptable sacrifices to him. A couple of weeks ago we looked at Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our response is worship. But again, it goes beyond singing. It's lives offered to him. Our bodies, our very bodies offered to him. As Peter urges us here, be holy. Be his holy people. Be transformed by this glorious truth. That's his focus here. He bookends this section, as it were, with this. Verse 1, Therefore rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind, and like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So he comes into land and move on to the next section. Dear friends, I urge you, verse 11, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Because of this truth. As he say, rid yourselves of these things. Abstain from sin as citizens of another kingdom. As aliens and strangers, as he says, recognise that we've been called out to be a people, a holy nation, a spiritual house that is different. Called to be different from the world around us. Verse 9, called out of darkness into his wonderful light. Paul says similarly in Ephesians chapter 5 again, and verse 8, Ephesians 5 and verse 8, for, what, for you were once darkness, 
But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And throughout that passage that that's part of, kind of follows on from where Dan was speaking from last week, Paul certainly doesn't shy away from this truth. You see him emphasise all the way through from chapter 4, verse 17, through to 5, verse 21, put off your old self, put off your old ways, put off the ways of the world and live as children of God, children of light. Live as children of the light that you've been brought into. As the writer to the Hebrews said in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. So easy to say, but Lord, help us to live it. You see, Peter's call is that the response to this profound, wonderful truth, look what God is building, look what God is doing with you, is to be in awe, yes, and to live it out, and therefore be ruthless with sin. Here is our true and proper worship to him. Lives that look like Jesus. Lives that have been given to him, that are being shaped, are being shaped and transformed by him. As Paul goes on to say in that verse in Romans 12, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, Peter calls us to action. Paul calls us to action. The writer to the Hebrews calls us to, to action. Throw it off. Rid yourselves. Abstain from it. Be children of light. But see also, this is the grace of God at work in us, transforming us, making us more like him, changing us. The work of grace in us, transforming us, enables us to desire and to seek to be, sorry, to desire and to seek to be and to cry out, Father, make us more like Jesus. This is my desire In view of what you are showing us, in view of what you have done for us, Father, this is what I desire, to be more like him. I am yours. We are yours. You are building us to be your holy people, Lord. A spiritual house, your special possession. Well then, what can we say, God, Father, but mould us? Shape us, change us, help us to throw off all that hinders and the sin that entangles, all that is not like you. You see, that's our response to God and to his grace. Change me, Lord. Make me more like you. And how does Peter sum it up? Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us that others would see it and glorify God. That they would notice as God makes us more and more to be his people shaped in the image of Christ, we'd stand out. What does he say even here? Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. See the pressures of our culture today Pressures, yes, to fit in, but pressures to say, you are your own person. No one tells me what to do. I can do what I want. It's about me. 
I want this relationship, I want to go and have it. If this is what I'm feeling, then that's what I'm going to be. Fed so much that teaches us actually to tear one another down rather than build one another up. So much backbiting, so much one-upmanship, so much I've got to get to the top, so much I've got to have what I want. Yeah, what do we see? God's doing something so different. God's calling a people who are united together, a people who love one another, a people who rid themselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. And as he goes on to say, abstain from all sinful desires which wage against your soul. God's forming a people who is called to be different, to be children of light, to be children who look like Jesus. Let's stand together again.